Uh, you know, before we get going, I just want to just open to the time of prayer. Just pray with me now. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Father, I realize that apart from you, I can do nothing. Lord, apart from you, I have no strength. I have no power. I have no wisdom of my own. Father, but it's in you that we find strength. It's in you that we find wisdom. It's in you that we find the power to move forward. And Lord, right now, I ask that you would let your Holy Spirit, you would release it into this house today, Lord, to reveal the Word of God to our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would begin to break up that fallow ground in the room. Father, break up the fallow ground of our hearts, Lord, and open up our hearts to receive your Word. Lord, I ask that you would anoint my lips today, Father, and that you would touch every heart in this room, Lord, to hear the Word of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I just want to go ahead and first off start by thanking Pastor Joe here, um, your guys' hospitality. His hospitality has been great. Um, and getting an opportunity to see the way a guy watches football, you learn a lot about him. Um, so I got a chance to, to watch some football with him yesterday and talk about the Lord, and I'll tell you, you've got a good pastor. Um, he loves the Lord. Pray for him, lift him up, encourage him. He's got vision for the direction you guys are going. And, and hearing that vision yesterday, I'm not even down here, and I got excited. So I was about ready to join in and start fundraising with you and get ready to go and get this church built. Um, so you have a good pastor. So pray for him, and you're going to have to pray for the guy with the camera, because I'll be honest with you, I move around a lot. So his arm's going to be tired by the time the night's over. He's flexing back there, so he's ready to roll. So like uh, Pastor Joe said, I am from Ohio. I am a Buckeye. Got to see the Buckeyes win last night. You guys probably don't know this, but OH, yeah, that gets a lot better reception at home. They say I-O. Um, so got to see the Buckeyes win last night. Um, I am a fundraiser at a university there, um, and then I'm also a part-time youth pastor. So I've been a youth pastor for about four years with, with Pastor Wetland or Brother Wetland. I've been with him for about six months. Um, and so I've had the opportunity to see a group of young people really get raised up and love the Lord. I have students that have gone on and are going to school for ministry and some serving in ministry, and I've had an opportunity to see a generation of people rise up. And about four years ago, the Lord spoke to me. Four years ago, he spoke to me, and he says, I have something for you to do. Now, at the time, I was sitting literally not even in my own office. At work. I didn't even have a desk, like an office. I had a desk outside the dean's office at the university I was working at at the time. And he says, I have a job for you. He says, I want you to awaken the sleeper in the church. And here I am sitting at this desk, and I'm like, how in the world am I going to do that? And he says, I'm going to speak to you, and I'm going to show you, and I'm going to begin revealing things to you. And at that point is when he began to create in me a message, a message that I'm going to deliver to you today. The title of my sermon today is Those Who Come to Die. And so when I shared, this, uh, you know, when I shared the title with someone, they're like, man, that's awful morbid. But it's the sermon that God has placed on my heart that I think in this hour, not only currently, but in the direction and the places that we're going in the United States and in our world, it is a message that is essential for us moving and walking forward. So what I'm going to do is, in doing this, is I'm going to introduce you to the three people that you find in the American church. And so the way that we're going to do this and we're going to jump in is we're going to get started, and we're going to start in John chapter 6. And so what I did is, instead of reading 67 scriptures, even though I know you guys love Jesus, but no one wants me to read 67 scriptures. So what I did was, is I kind of broke it out, and I cut a lot of the middle portions out, and I'm going to highlight the high points, and I'm going to explain what's going on in this passage. So we start off in John chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. 
Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. So what we see of this is they're seeing that Jesus is performing all these miracles. They're seeing that he's raising the dead. They're seeing that he's praying for the sick. They're seeing the demons are getting cast out. And naturally, when you do that, people want to come see it. They want to come see the show. They want to come see the fire. Bill Johnson says, talking about some of the people who come to, to Bethel Church, he says, anytime you turn on the light, that's when you get the bugs. The bugs start coming to look. So people are coming to see what this guy named Jesus is doing. So in total, he has 5,000 men come to see him. And when he does, it's more than just 5,000. Most scholars, most theologians believe that when you have that 5,000 there, we're also coming with at least each one with their own wife and many with kids. So we're looking at upwards of 15,000 people have come to see Jesus. And this goes into one of our most classic Bible stories is Jesus, Jesus feeding the 5,000. So in this passage, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with, what is it? A couple loaves and a couple fish. So they keep multiplying. He teaches the disciples and he gives them and they multiply and he feeds 15,000 people and they were again amazed. But then we move all the way to John. So John chapter six, verses 15, it says, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Because anytime you give somebody something for free, they want to exalt you and make you king because they want to keep receiving. And that happens in this country. So what is it? They were going to exalt him and make him king. Why? Because they, he fed them. He gave them food. So it says that happens, starting in John chapter 26. Is so when he does this, he retreats across the ocean. The disciples go with him. So he goes across the sea. All these 15,000 people, they wake up. What do they realize? Jesus is gone. The guy who fed us, he's not here anymore. Where are we going to get food? So what happens is they follow him over. Starting in... Uh, verse 26, he says, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. He says, you didn't do it because I'm the son of God. You came because I fed you. Now I fed you miraculously, but I fed you nonetheless. That's why you're here. That's the only reason you came is because I fed you. But then what happens is this, they put on a good show. Sometimes we act like we're not coming because Jesus blesses us, but then this is what they say. Well, then they said to him in verse 28, what shall we do then that we may do the works of God? What do we do? You tell us what to do. And oftentimes you see this in the word of God that people come because they see Jesus doing these things. You see it with Simon the sorcerer. You see it with the rich young ruler. You see it with these 15,000 people. They see God doing these miraculous works and they say, we want to do that too. But see, what happens is anytime you go to God and you ask for an ability, you ask for power, you ask for anointing, you ask for anything to do a work for God, there will always be a cost associated with what you want to do for God. Nothing in the word of God outside of salvation comes without a cost. When you partner and you co-labor with God, it's a co-laboring. There will be labor on your part and labor on his. There will be a cost for fulfilling the plan and the call and the destiny that he has placed on your life. And so this is what he tells them. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
So he says this to them, he says, if you really want to do this, if you really want to eat the, if you really want to do the same works that I'm doing, you have to eat of my flesh and you have to drink of my blood. Not the bread and the fish I gave you yesterday, but you have to eat of me. Now you have to look culturally at this. That was something that would have been, I mean, that would be radical today, but completely radical then. Because if you were to touch a dead body, if you were to eat flesh, you were unclean. That would have been even more taboo than it is today. And so they're saying, this is what they do is they all start talking and they say, man, what in the world is this guy saying? He's saying that we have to eat his flesh, that we have to drink his blood. And this is where it gets interesting. And this is where many people are in the American church today. It says, therefore, many of his disciples, the disciples being the 15,000, says, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying, who could follow it? From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So those 15,000, they left him. As soon as the word got hard, they began to leave. And the Lord spoke to me when he gave me this sermon, when he put this sermon in my heart, as he brought this to me, and he told me, he said, many in the body of Christ are only coming to eat. And when it becomes hard, and when my word becomes hard, and when my standard becomes hard, when things are no longer easy, they run away. They leave, they flee, because it's not just about feeding anymore. It's about a standard. It's about living a certain way. It's about doing what I've called them to do. It's about being obedient. As soon as those things come about, as soon as holiness comes about, as soon as obedience comes about, as soon as walking out what I've told them to do and giving up the things I've told them to give up, they run away. But see, then what he does is, even though there are people who run away, there will be people who stay. He turns to his disciples and he says this. He says, then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to leave? And this is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible right here. But Simon Peter answered him. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, where else are we going to go? You know what? It doesn't matter even if it's radical. It doesn't matter if 15,000 people leave. It doesn't matter if you're not feeding us anymore. Where else am I going to go? And what he is saying here is, I have come to realize and I have come to know is that I cannot go on without you. Without you, I am nothing. He realizes in that moment that Jesus is the future. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the only thing that he can truly hold on to that's eternal. And he's saying, listen, it doesn't matter what I see with my eyes. I'm not going to leave you because I know that you are the son of God. He's saying there's no other option. But see, in today's United States, in today's church, we've created options. We've created options. You don't have to really follow Jesus. You don't have to do this. There's an accommodating gospel. There's a gospel that says, listen, we'll conform church. We'll conform Christian living. We'll conform the Bible to fit your lifestyle, to fit what you want to do, to fit your desires and your passions. And that's not the way it works. We conform our lives we conform our passions. We conform our desires. We conform every aspect of who we are around the word of God and around what he has told us to do and being obedient to the word of God. So the first people you find are this, is you find those who come to eat. Now those who come to eat, those who come to eat, you find them throughout the entirety. You find them all throughout the church system today. You find them in mega churches. You find them in medium-sized churches. You find them in small churches. I don't care where you go in church in the United States, you are going to find people who come solely to eat. Those who come solely to eat, how you identify them is that they are motivated by what God can do for them, 
not what they can do for God. They're motivated by what can he give me today? How can he bless me? How can he touch me? They're not ever saying, how can I offer a sacrifice of praise to him today? How can I offer a sacrifice of my life to him today? They're not concerned with what they can do for God and how they can worship God, but they're concerned with, if I go to this church, if I go here, if I show up on Sunday, if I show up on Wednesday, what will he do for me? See, when Jesus called the disciples, he never said, hey, come follow me and you'll raise the dead. He never said, come follow me and you'll cast out demons. Come follow me and you'll, you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll become well. He didn't say, come follow me and you'll write half the New Testament. He never said, come follow me and you'll do anything. He said, come follow me because I'm me. He, Jesus wants us to follow him purely because of who he is. If he never did another thing for us, dying on the cross for our sins was enough. If he never healed us again, if he never blessed us again, if he never made provision or made a way for us again, dying on the cross was enough for us to pour out our lives in worship for Jesus. And I'm not saying that God does not want to bless us, and I'm not saying that blessings did not exist for those who believe, but what I'm saying is it cannot be the motivation for why we pour out a heart of worship to Jesus. But see, the thing is, oftentimes these people, they put on a good show. They say they want to serve Christ. They say they want to do those things. But deep down, God knows the motivations of the heart. He knows why they're there. He knows if they're a consumer. And in today's churches, there may be people in this room today that your heart is a consumer mindset. You may be here because you enjoy being with your friends. You may be here because you really like Pastor Joe. You may be here because you really like the coffee had that pecan coffee this morning, never had it before. I'm a northerner. I'm going to have to take some home. <laughs> you may be here for any number of reasons besides Jesus. You may have come in, the Spirit of God was moving during worship and during prayer this morning, and you could have sat there like you had rigor mortis in the back of the room, not feeling a thing, because your heart is not rent before God. Your heart is not rent before him saying, I am here to worship you and to pour out my heart of worship. Guys, Sunday morning isn't a routine. Sunday morning and showing up and worshiping God is not just a good idea. It is how we express in this culture today. It is an opportunity for us to join together as a family and pour out a heart of worship to God for who he is, for being the King of kings and the Lord of lords, for being our very present help in a time of need, for being our deliverer, for being our Jehovah Rapha, for being our Jehovah Jireh, for being who he is, it's our opportunity to pour out a heart of worship, not to come and just consume. We have preached for far too long about a God that chases after people and not enough about a people who chase after God. We have to be a people who passionately pursue the heart of Christ in everything that we do. Because if we don't, we will not last. Because as we see here, is those who were only coming to feed, when the word got hard, they didn't last. That's why people fall away from the church all the time. You see these, these, um, these uh, celebrity Christians and they're falling away from God. Why? Because they're only coming to consume. And when the word gets hard, when it's not easy, what do they do? They're gone. But when you come to open up and pour out a heart of praise and worship, and you know that truly without him, you have nothing. On my way here, I was on the plane, and I was talking with God. And I had just a little bit of, of anxiousness building up, and the Holy Spirit told me, he said, why are you anxious? And I said, because I'm always, I've always got that fear in my heart that I'm going to show up and you won't. 
Because I know if I show up and you don't, I'm in trouble. I know if I show up and you're not here, I'm in trouble. Because listen, I'm a good speaker. I can talk to a bunch of people. I'm trained. I know how to public speak. But I know that without the power of God resting on my life, I have nothing. I have no power. I have no anointing. That without intimacy with Jesus and without him resting on my life, I might as well not stand up up here and speak. I might as well just go ahead and sit down because I don't want to give you a good word. But I want to give you something that will penetrate your heart with the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a group of people today saying, listen, give us pleasant words. And Isaiah said that there was a people saying, give us pleasant words. They're itching ears. They want to hear what will make them happy. They don't want to hear. Here's the thing. The word of God says that those who are corrected by God, this is their true sons of God. It says that if you're not corrected by God, you're a bastard and you have no father. But when we allow ourselves to fall under the correction of God, when we allow ourselves to submit under him, and even when the word gets hard, even when it gets hard, that is what identifies us as true sons and daughters of the king. And those are the people who come to eat. But see, then what happens is with this particular story is we see two groups of people. We see those who come to eat, and we see those who come to follow. Now, the difference between those who come to follow is even when the word gets hard, they're staying. Even when they don't like it, even when they get corrected, even when their toes get stepped on, even whenever their golden idols get smashed, when their, their, their golden cows, their golden calves get smashed, they are still going to be there because they realize that there is something greater than being served by Christ. And they realize that thing is serving Christ. See, the disciples, they stayed because they realized there was no other place that they could go that they were going to find what they needed. There was no place that they could go that they were going to find eternal life, that they were going to find the Son of God. See, when you look, and you look in the American church today for those who come to follow, those are the people who are serving, oftentimes. Those are the people who are showing up early. Those are the people who are travailing in prayer. Those are the people who really want to seek and to get after God. Those are the people who are here every Sunday morning. They're here on Wednesday nights. They're serving the church. They're serving God because they realize their place in eternity. They realize that this life is but a vapor. They realize that the things that they're living and doing in this life, ultimately the only consequence they have is how they have an impact on eternity. But see, here's the problem, is even those who come to follow have weaknesses. Even those who come to follow, there's still a certain level where it cuts off. There's a certain level where they don't make it. Now, see, what happens is with those who come to follow is oftentimes those who come to follow can get to the point where they show devotion with their mouth and not with their heart. It says they honor me, in, uh, in the word it says they honor me with their heart, with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They may show up to serve, but their heart is not there. They may show up on Sundays, they may show up on Wednesdays, they may be doing all the right things and looking the right part, and they, even when the word gets hard, they're sticking in. Even when they preach on righteousness and holiness, they're there. Even whenever the word gets hard, even whenever they're saying, listen, you have to be obedient to what God's plan and call is for your life, they're there. See, that's what happened with Peter. We look at the life of Peter. And when Jesus talks about his crucifixion, 
Peter says, listen, he says, I would die for you. You know, I think we've all done that before. Man, I'd love them so much, I would die for them. But see, the thing is, that sounds really romantic in the moment. There's this romantic thing when you say, I would die for you, that feels like, you know, you know, it's a man like, oh, I would die. But see, with Jesus, you can say all day long, I would die for you. I'll go to the ends of the earth for you. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. But the reality is you can't fool him. He knows your heart. Now, this is my spin on it when I read it, but I imagine it saying when Jesus said, really, would you now? Would you die for me? Because see, Peter had an opportunity and he didn't know that opportunity was coming. He didn't know that he was going to have an opportunity to risk his life for Christ. And so that's when Jesus says, you die for me? Really? Because before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. See, because the thing is, he knows the end of things from the beginning of things. He knows what you're going to do. He knows what you're going to do. And the problem is with many who follow is they will worship God and they will follow God and they will give devotion to God until the risk seems greater than the reward. And those are people that we have in the American church system today. Yes, they're going to follow God. They're going to show up. They're going to have devotion until that risk starts to outweigh the reward. And when that risk starts to outweigh the reward, they say, ooh, boy, I don't know about that. Boy, man, God told me to give that amount. God told me to go here. I don't really know about that. God told me to quit my job and go here. God called me to do this. He told me to do this. That seems awful risky. It's not really what I wanted to do, and I just don't know about that. And I meet good, well-intentioned Christians all the time who are living in this exact state. They love God. They're here. They want to follow the voice of God, but because they have a hard time moving beyond their fleshly thinking and moving beyond their earthly mind, that it blocks them from becoming and fulfilling who God has called them to be and doing what God has called them to do. Because they look and they see the risk and they say, boy, that risk seems awful high. I don't know if it's going to be rewarding enough if I do that. And that's what happened to Peter. So we look at Peter and they're saying, listen, this, is a, this man, he's a known associate of Jesus. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know that guy. Now, this is a man who just days earlier said, listen, I would die for you. This is a man who just told Jesus he would die. But now, just a few days later, he's saying, I don't even know him. Don't associate me with that guy. I don't know him. And see, oftentimes, in the moment, in the heat of the moment, they're saying this at dinner, and they're close. And when you have to, well, we're going to talk about this in a few moments. But when they're at dinner and they dine together, they're close. They're laying on the ground together. They're right next to one another. And in the heat of the moment, sometimes we say things. Have you ever been there? It's one in the morning. Maybe say some things you, you don't really mean. Been there, done that. Okay, nobody else, just me. <laughs> Not to God, I'm talking to other people. Told them, like, oh, yeah, yeah. You say things, and when you're in vulnerable moments, that, you know, it seems right at the moment. And sometimes in worship, we're saying all these things. Sometimes people are singing songs, and I'm like, do you realize you are making a declaration to God when you say, send me where my feet are without borders? Are you really wanting God to do that? Are you really wanting him to take you on the water? Are you really wanting him to do something? When you say, I'm offering my life, are you really offering your life? Because I promise you, when you, with full intention, offer your life to Christ and say, do what you want with it, I'm telling you, it will be rewarding, and the reward will be eternal. But he will take you places, and he will do things that will test your level of com comfortability. It will be things you don't want to do sometimes. There are things that he has asked me to do, and he has called me to do, where I'm said, I do not want to do that. 
but I've had to submit myself and I've had to beat my flesh and I have had to say it does not matter what I see with my eyes. It does not matter what I want. I will be obedient to what the call of Christ is. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they say. I am going to be obedient to what Christ has told me to do no matter what. Wherever he tells me to go, whatever he tells me to do, it does not matter. Is when the, when the, the risk seems greater than the reward, I'm not leaving. But see, there is one more group of people that you find in the American church. And these people are far fewer. And these are the group of people, this is the group of people that the Lord has spoken to me that he wants us to become, that he is drawing out, that he's pulling people out of the caves, and he is pulling people out of isolation, and he is pulling people out of hiding, and he's exposing these people to give people an example of what he wants the American church to become, and it's those who come to die. So we start off with the 15,000. We make it down to the 12. The 12 are those who come to follow. But when we look in the Bible, when we look at those who come to die, we look at the one. And the one is John, the Apostle John. See, we look at the life of John, and when we read the book of John, it's one of my favorite books. And I love, one of the things I love the most about John is this, is that when he wrote the book, he lost his identity. He never referred to himself as himself. He never referred to him his name, but he called himself the one whom Jesus loved. See, his whole identity, his whole aspect of who he was, was tied up in God's love for him, in Christ's love for him. That's the way he identified himself, is I'm no longer John, but I am the one whom Jesus loves. Because the thing is, our identity dictates our actions. Our identity dictates our actions. I don't want to do that. I don't know what people will think. What do you not want? You don't want people to associate your identity with that. But see, the thing is, my identity is this, is I no longer belong to me. I'm dead. Because whenever I truly got saved, whenever I truly turned my life over to Christ, is I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. My opinion doesn't matter anymore. My desires, they don't matter anymore. What I want to do with my life, it doesn't matter anymore. My identity is no longer Ryan, the one who works at a, at a university. There was a time I wanted to become a doctor, and I had to give that up because God told me that's not the direction I want you to go. Because I wanted people to look at me and see success. I wanted people to look at me and see, man, that guy, I want to be him. He's successful. He's smart. He's intelligent. He's all these things. But my identity has to be one who is so tied up in Christ's love for me that nothing else matters. Not my accomplishments not the money I make, not the awards I receive, nothing. My identity has to be so tied up in the love of God that nothing else matters. See, the thing is, John was not looking for recognition in writing this book. He didn't want anyone to look at him. He wanted everyone to look at Jesus. He didn't want anyone to see him. When they read that book, they didn't want, he, he didn't want people holding this book up, this, this manuscript up and saying, this was John. He wanted them to read this and just say, man, this is all about Jesus. This was a man who gave his life for the deity of Jesus Christ. He didn't want anyone looking at him. And those who come to die, their identity is wrapped up in introducing people to Jesus. Those who come to die, intimacy is what they crave. They crave intimacy with Jesus. See, we look, and we look, whenever we look at the way that they dined at those times, we look at the cultural traditions, is what they would do is they would have tables. Oh. 
is they would have tables, and what they did is they put pillows in front of the table, and what they would do is they would lean down on the ground, and they would put their elbows on it, and then they would eat like this. But they were laid flat on their, on their stomach. Tried eating that way, really uncomfortable, don't know how they did it. <laughs> but that's the way that they dined. And so when we look at John, because the thing that always messed me up when I read this is like, how did he put his head on Jesus' chest? Because I'm envisioning sitting in a chair like, I'm like, that had to be like the most awkward thing ever. But then when I really started to learn, I really started to read, is it was a natural position because what you would do is when you reach with your right hand, whoever was on the left of you, your head naturally reclined on them. But see, the thing is, reaching out and grabbing the food, that was just a part of their natural, everyday culture. But see, the thing is that made John different is he put himself so close to Christ that in every movement that he did, he was reclining towards Jesus. Even in the most mundane of actions, he was reclining his head towards Jesus. Even going to grab food, his head was on Jesus' shoulder. He's not always looking for something spectacular, but he's looking for in every action, in every aspect of your life, you're so close to him, you position yourself so close to Jesus that in everything you do, your head is reclined and rested on his shoulder and rested on his chest. That's what set John apart. John wanted intimacy with Jesus above everything else. There was a lot of disciples in that room, but guess what? He wanted to be the one that reclined his head and had his head on Jesus' chest. John set his, his affections on the things above. He set his affections upon Jesus. And the last thing you see about those who come to die is that they are loyal unto death. And this is the, the whole crux of my message today. Everything I've been saying has been building up to this moment. And I'm going to show you the real, true aspect and nature of the people that God wants to raise up in this hour. If you remove Judas, we're going to say Jesus had 11 disciples. So throwing Judas out, Jesus had 11 disciples. When Jesus died on the cross, there was one there, and it was John. He was it. Jesus had poured into these men's life. He had eaten with them. He had spent time with them. They had seen him raise the sick. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him do stuff. But here, I've got a word for you guys today, is miracles will not sustain you. The power of God and seeing God move, it won't sustain you when hard times come, whenever you're under persecution. Seeing the, listen, I have seen blind eyes open. I have seen deaf ears open. I have seen the lame stand up and walk. I've traveled around the world and seen God pour out his spirit in mighty ways. But but those things do not sustain me when hard times come. The only thing that will sustain you is intimacy with Jesus. When his life was on the line, the only thing that sustained him was the times he had kept his head on Jesus' chest. See, the thing is, John cared so little for his life that he was willing to follow Jesus all the way to the cross under fear of the same result. He could have been crucified too. Just like they looked at Peter and they said, hey, that's a known associate of Jesus. They could have looked at John just as easily and said, that's a known associate of Jesus. Let's kill him too. But he didn't care. See, that's what happens when your identity is so wrapped up in Jesus that you no longer care about your own life. You no longer care. See, it says all the other disciples, it says that they watch from a distance. 
They watched Jesus from a distance where it was safe. But see, Jesus in this hour, God in this hour, is looking for a group of people who are willing to step over the line and say, you know what, I don't care if it's not safe. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if there's persecution. I don't care if people tell me to shut up. I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to step over that line, and I'm going to serve Jesus, even if it means the risk of my very life. But you remember earlier when I said it's real romantic to say that? It's real romantic to say, like, oh, I would risk my life for you. We're not in a position in the American church today where we're often going to be put under the, the threat of our life for following Jesus. But our identity is under threat. See, it's one thing to say you would die for someone, but it's another whole other thing to say, I'll live my life for you. Are you willing to die every day to yourself for him? Not necessarily with a gun to your head, do you follow Jesus, but in every way you live your life, in every aspect, in your passions, in your motivations, in your desires, in the way you spend your money, in the way you spend your time, in every aspect, are you willing to die to yourself to kill those passions and desires that do not line up with who God called you to be? Because that's what it looks like when you come to die. See, the thing is with John, we look at the life of John and we can find this. When John got to the point where he no longer cared about his own life. He fulfilled what I believe was a prophecy. In Matthew 16, 25, Jesus said to the disciples, whoever loses their life for me will gain it. Whoever tries to save their life will lose it. When you look at the 11 disciples throwing Judas out, every one of them were martyred for their faith, except for one, John. The only man who cared so little for his life that he was willing to lose it, was the only one in the times of persecution was able to save his life. He was the only one not martyred for his faith. The only one. It says in extra biblical text that they even tried to boil him alive in oil and could not do it. Couldn't kill him. That's why they exiled him to the island of Patmos. This man was bulletproof. Why? Because he cared so little for his life. He cared so little for himself that God kept him and God preserved him. Which is what it comes to is what comes to those that come to die. Why is this important? You know, I hear preachers preach all the time. And there's times I leave the sermon, I'm like, why is that even important? What's that even matter? Are you just up there rambling? What are you saying? And some of these things you may say, you know what? I really don't care about that, Ryan. It's not important to me. But the first thing that, goes, that comes to those who come to die is that the Lord will reveal things to you that he reveals to no one else. See, we look at the life of John. Who did he tell? Who did he tell was going to betray, betray him? He told John. See, because he was close enough that he could lay his head over on his chest and hear. Jesus didn't announce it to the room, but when John looked at him, he said, who was it? Who's the one that's going to betray you? He said, it's the one who I'm going to give bread to. And he dips bread and he gives it. And see, for the longest time, I thought he announced that. But then I got reading and when you read, the disciples wondered where Judas got up and left to, which then I realized he wasn't announcing that to the crowd. He wasn't announcing that to everyone at dinner. He only told John. See, when you rest your head upon Jesus' shoulder, he begins to tell you things and whisper things to you that he's not telling anyone else. 
See, some of you are saying, and you know, some of you may be like, listen, I don't care if Jesus reveals things to me. I don't care if God reveals things to me. But those of you in this room who are saying, why doesn't God speak to me? Why doesn't he reveal things to me? Why is he not whispering in my ear? Why do other people hear the voice of God and I don't? My question to you would be this, is are you close enough to hear him? Are you leaning your head on his chest? Are you close enough? Because there's going to come a time and there's going to come a day, there's going to come an hour when you can't go to Pastor Joe. There's going to come a time when it's going to be solely dependent upon your relationship with Jesus that you hear what to do and where to go. I remember hearing about that pastor that I think it was in Iran that he was held captive for over a year. And I thought to myself, I really, I put myself in that situation. I said, if I were in that situation and I were trapped and I was locked up and I was being held captive and I ran for being a minister of the gospel, would I be able to live? Would I be able to do it? Or would I buckle? I'd have no one else to go to. The only thing I would be dependent upon is Jesus. The only thing. I would have no one else. It would be between me and him. I couldn't go to Pastor Kim. I couldn't go to any of my other spiritual mentors. It would just be me and Jesus. The second thing is, is that the Lord will keep you in times of trouble. And I'm not a gloom and doom prophet. I'm not someone who's coming here to to speak about the end of days. But church, I got to tell you, is I believe that there will be hard times coming to the American church. I will believe there will be hard times coming to the United States. And I believe when those hard times comes, if you are not fully devoted to Jesus, if you are not fully trusting Jesus, if you are not resting your head on his chest, if you are not doing these things, then you will not last. You won't make it. I have traveled around the world and I have seen Christians who have nothing. And they're so dedicated. Their heart is rent before God. They serve him passionately and they have nothing. But if we serve God, if we come to eat, or if we only serve him when it's easy, or if we only worship him when it's easy, when the hard times comes is, will we last? Will we last? Because hard times will come. And I don't know that we fully tasted what that's going to look like, and I don't know what it's going to look like either, but if things to continue to progress down with the unrighteousness and with the worldliness that we begin seeing to take hold and take captive of our world... Things are going to go down a dark path and our relationship with Jesus will be the only thing that will keep us. John was kept. He was kept. In the midst of all the disciples being martyred, they were ripped apart. They were drug on chariots. They were crucified upside down. They were thrown off buildings. That's not the Christianity you hear about in church. You hear about, listen, come to church and he'll bless you. He'll heal you. He'll deliver you. He'll do this. But you never hear, listen, there may be threat that you may get thrown off a building. You may get your limbs ripped off. You may get drugged by a chariot. You may get crucified upside down. You may get burned at the stake. See, we don't hear that. If someone said, hey, come to church, you could get burned at the stake. You'd be like, I'm going to pass. That sounds fun and all, but I'm going to pass. 
But see, when we look at the New Testament church, they were under threat of persecution every day. Every day could have been their last, but they withheld and they stood. Why? Because they had encountered Jesus. The reason the disciples were able to fulfill the plan and the call on their life, the reason that, that, um, the reason that the apostle Paul was able to walk to Rome to his death is why? Because he had encountered Jesus. And when the times of persecution comes, when times of trouble come, when times of lack come, when times of sickness come, the only thing that will keep you in your relationship with God is if you have truly encountered the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you know who you are, and you've come to die to yourself. That's it. And lastly is this. Not only will he tell you things that he tells no one else, is that when you die to yourself, he will give you things that he gives no one else. He will give you anointing. He will give you power. He will give you mantles. See, we look at the life of John, and one of the last things Jesus said to John, his mother was standing there and John was standing there. He says, mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. He didn't entrust that to Peter. He didn't trust it to Matthew. He didn't entrust it to any other of the disciples but John. He said, I'm giving this to you. Keeper, protector, watch over. And you know, some of you in this room, I don't know that it's everyone, but some of you in this room may say, you know what? I really don't care. Ryan, I want to show up to church on Sundays. I don't want to be burdened for God. I don't want to have a mission. I don't want to have something. I don't want to have destiny. You know what? I don't care what he's called me to do. I want to show up. I want to have some good church. I want to hear some good worship. And then I want to go home all filled up and feeling good. And you know what? That is your right to do that. However, there is a greater way to live. And there will come a time that every Christian will stand before Jesus. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Your life will be weighed in the balances with what he called you to do is, did you fulfill the things that he called you to do? Did you live out the life he called you to fulfill? Did you worship him? Did you rend your heart before him? And lastly, he gave John his mother, but he gave John the vision for the future. See, I believe there's future for this church. I believe there's future... Pastor Joe over there, he has a vision for where this church is going. But that comes from a life laid down for Jesus. See, the thing is, God doesn't give people vision to people who aren't laying down their life. See, the thing is, John laid down his life, and he was the only one that saw Jesus in eternity while on the earth. See, you read in Revelation, and it says that he stood before Jesus. And this is one of my favorite passages because I close my eyes, and I can just see it. It says that he stood before Jesus and he fell down as though he were dead. And it says that when he looked upon Jesus, it says that his face shone like the sun. It says that out of his mouth it sounded like, like rivers of living water. That whenever he spoke, it was like a double-edged sword. That whenever he looked upon Jesus, he was so overcome with the glory of God that it was almost too much for him to physically bear he couldn't even stand it. He couldn't even stand being in the presence of God. He was so magnificent and so amazing that when he encountered him in eternity, he fell down as though he were dead because his body couldn't handle the weight. That only comes if you lay down your life. And see, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just come to church. 
I don't want to just show up on Sunday morning and then go home and go back to work on Monday. There is a greater way to live your life. I lived like that for a while until I realized I am not content in this. There has to be something greater. And I wasn't out of church. I'm 29 years old and I have never been out of church in my entire life. But I was a complacent Christian. I was just showing up. I was serving but my life was not rent, and my heart was not rent, and my life was not turned over to God. I was serving in youth ministry. I was helping. I was teaching kids' church. I was doing everything they asked me, but my life was truly not poured out for Christ. I still lived the way I wanted. If I pa- had a passion for it, I did it. If it was my desire, I did it. it. I never asked God, should I do this? If I wanted it, I did it. I'm not saying I was living in rampant sin, but my life was not submitted fully to Christ. But the day that I fully submitted my life to Christ, things began to change. In times of trouble, I was able to last. God's given me vision. He's speaking things to me. He's giving me giftings and abilities. Why? Because my life is opened up before and my heart is rent. And as the worship team comes back up here to join us, My question for you today is this. Who are you? There's three types of Christians we see, and I went through those. We have those who come to eat. We have those who come to follow. And we have those who come to die. What's your motivation for being here today? Are you here because you're hungry? Are you here because after worship you feel really good inside and then you leave? See, I heard a minister say once like this, talking about people saying they've encountered God, but nothing changing in their life. He said, if I was coming here to minister, and I'll say this is it for me, is if I was coming here to minister and I showed up an hour late, and I came and they said, Brother Ryan, where have you been? And I'll say, you know, the craziest thing happened. I was driving, and on my way here, I had a flat tire. But then when I got off to change it, the tire started to roll onto the road, and then I went out and I went to grab it. But then when I did, I got hit by a semi-truck, and so I was a little bit late getting here. You would look at me, and you would say, you're a liar. There's no way you could have been touched by something that powerful and not be changed. There's no way. There's no way you can be touched by the creator of the universe and not be changed. There's no way you can be touched by the same God who hung the stars in the sky and your heart not be lit on fire to see the gospel of Jesus Christ spread throughout the earth. I am not saying, people say, well, you know what? That's for you. People have told me that. Ryan, that's for you. No, that's for all of us. God wants our heart to be lit on fire so that we go flying across this world as burning beacons of the hope of Jesus Christ. And he wants that for every one of you. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager. It doesn't matter if you're in your 50s, your 30s, your 80s. God wants you to stand as a burning beacon, as a flame to say, I come representing the one true son of God. I come representing the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Come and see what he can do. That's what he wants you to be. This isn't just for me. It's not just for Pastor Joe. It's not just for Reese over there who's carrying the anointing of God. You heard it up here in prayer. But what he wants to do in us is he wants to do in everyone.
See, the word of God says that he pours out his spirit on all flesh. This, we are living in the days of the fulfillment of Joel. He wants to pour out his spirit on all of you in your workplaces, in your families, in the marketplace. He wants to pour out his spirit on you. But that only comes when you live a life laid down for Jesus Christ. There's a cost. There's a sacrifice to be made. I believe, and I'm going to talk more about this tonight, but I believe God has a vision and a plan and a hope for this body. I believe he has a plan for this area. I don't believe you guys are here by accident. I believe that you have been positioned and you have been placed here with purpose. But what it's going to take to see that purpose fulfilled is you guys uniting together as a family, laying your life down before Christ and let him use your life as a beacon, as an offering. Offer your life as an offering to Jesus Christ today. Not just show up, not just come to eat. But he has a vision, and he has purpose, and he has destiny for every one of you. So what we're going to do is I don't know how you guys normally do altar here, but I'm going to pull this table back. And just like we all came up here for prayer, is I'm going to invite you to come forward and to worship God with me for a few moments. I know I'm holding you back from your pot roast at lunch. I know I'm holding you back from watching football. And I get it, I love football, but I love Jesus more. I love food, I love pot roast, but I love Jesus more. And so what I'm gonna encourage you guys to do today is those who are able, and if you're not able, don't be a spectator. Worship God right there in your seat. You know, I had kidney stones about this time last year. It was horrible. And they were so bad, I was telling Brother Joe, I was, I was crying out in tongues in the bed, in the hospital bed. No, I didn't have a private room. That was the thing. There was another guy over there, but I hurt so bad. I did. I was like, Shomorondo Shokora, God help me. And I didn't care. There were nurses coming in, and I was praying on the Holy Ghost. I didn't care. I didn't care. You know, I couldn't stand up and worship. And people oftentimes, they'll say, you know, they come and they worship a certain way. But my private worship and my public worship, they're equal. And what I'll encourage you with this last thing before we come up here and worship is some of you who may not feel comfortable worshiping today, when you leave here, what happens oftentimes is your private worship will inform your public worship. So if you have trouble worshiping God publicly, I go, oh, I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, this is just the way I do it. And you just stand. Are you worshiping God privately? Are you truly offering a drink offering, not just here, but in your homes, in your cars, with your family? So what I want to do is I got off a little bit there. But as the worship team sings, is I want you guys to make your way forward. And not just come up here and stand. But I want you to be an active participant in worshiping God. And I'll tell you this. If this makes you uncomfortable, whew, Heaven is going to be super uncomfortable for you because this is what we're going to do. We're going to get to stand in the presence of Jesus. We're going to get to worship him. We're going to get to sit at his feet. We're going to get to lift his name high every day, every moment for eternity. That is what heaven will look like. And so if that's you, I want to invite you up here to just join me. 
that you come now.